Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for coming. Most of you are from my class on women, law, and leadership, so I'm thrilled to have a class that is so committed to global leadership. And today we have with us one of the most preeminent leaders in the world. In the margins of the UN General Assembly's 74th session, and marking, marking the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Women's Conference and the Beijing Platform of Action, marking the 20th anniversary of the UN Resolution 1325, the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, which saw women as not just victims of war, but agents of peace. And then marking here in the United States, the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which gave the vote to some women, but not all women. We have with us a preeminent woman leader, the only woman to lead a Central Asian country, and she remains the only woman to have led a Central Asian country, and one of the few women to lead a country through a peaceful transition to democracy, and who stepped down at the end of her tenure as president of a Central Asian Republic and taught Central Asia what it means to build democracy, a parliamentary system, an independent judiciary. And she used the values of the Security Council Resolution 1325, which saw women as agents of peace, not during, not just during the time of conflict resolution, but in transitional justice, that women are key to rebuilding their nations, the global economy, the country's economy, as well as building the institutions of democracy. And President Otumbayeva, while she was president, really internalized those values by appointing the first woman to head the central bank in Kyrgyzstan, the first woman to head the prosecutorial office in Kyrgyzstan, and the first woman chief justice in Kyrgyzstan. And I think those are the values that she learned from her own father, who was a justice of Kyrgyzstan. So coming to Penlor is really part of her DNA, is really part of her legacy. Uh, after stepping down in 2012, President Otumbayeva remains one of the champions of democracy and justice and freedom in the world. Recently, she was honored by Search for Common Cause, by Queen Noor, and by many of the House of Lords, many members of the House of Lords in the UK, with an award for the work that she did in bringing justice and peaceful democracy to her country and to the region and she was an honored, along with President Carter, President Jimmy Carter, and Desmond Tutu of South Africa. She serves on the high-level advisory board of the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals, and part of her work is really bringing and translating those 17 Sustainable Development Goals in Kyrgyzstan and in Central Asia. She serves at the high-level mediation advisory board as an advisor to the Secretary General, along with 18 eminent persons and heads of state, and is really part of advising the Secretary General on peaceful mediation and transitional justice in the world. 
But most importantly, she remains an active voice and inactive leadership in Kyrgyzstan and in Central Asia. Her foundation, the Rosa Otumbayeva Foundation, has developed an investigative journalism center to engage with journalists and in new technologies to connect journalists in Kyrgyzstan, in Central Asia, and around the world in building democracy. But most importantly, I think what Rosa Otumbayeva serves as is an ambassador of Kyrgyzstan to the world, where she, which I would say is really part of her own um, her own philosophy as a leader, where she learns from different countries, whether it is India or South Africa, on new innovations in those countries in developing the global economies and the democracies of those countries, and where she has started a new initiative to digitalize Kyrgyzstan. And she used the funds that she received from the Kuwaiti government when they awarded her a special prize to mark the work that she did as a peace builder. The $20,000 that she received as an award, she used to build an app for women in Kyrgyzstan in the frontier provinces on early childhood education. Because these children, these nomadic children, do not have access to education, formal education, or to formal kindergartens. So by connecting these mothers, she developed what she calls a new curriculum in early childhood education that links technology and new technology to early childhood education and in the development of her nation. She continues to lead in so many different and innovative ways, and that story is a uniquely Rosa Otumbaeva story. But I want to end by again invoking the UN General Assembly session that started just today in New York. At the time of her tenure as president of Kyrgyzstan, her detractors accused her of leading Kyrgyzstan like a woman. And if leading like a woman meant that she set up the first parliamentary system in Kyrgyzstan, the first independent judiciary in Kyrgyzstan, and, and initiated a peaceful transition to democracy in Kyrgyzstan and stepping down at the end of her tenure, then leading like a woman should be the clarion call for all those leaders gathered at the United Nations in New York right now. So that is that charge that we would like to go forth from here at Penn Law in the presence of President Rosa Otumbaeva. And now the president will engage in conversation with Catherine, who is, I think, one of the leading voices on Russian studies here at Penn Law. She uh, got a master's degree in Russian studies from Stanford. She spent nine months as a Fulbright scholar in Moscow at your alma mater, President Otumbaeva, where you received your PhD in political philosophy. And Catherine will engage in the changes in Central Asia and Kyrgyzstan, followed by a question and answer session with students, many of whom are my students in my class on women, law, and leadership. So we want it to be an intersection of what is happening in the region, but also the ways in which women's leadership remains transformative in the region and in the world.
you so much for the introduction and thank you for coming. I do this in Russian, but that probably wouldn't be good for <laughs> my skills here. Um, so I'm really interested in your thoughts sort of on the relationship between Russia and Kyrgyzstan. So I know in the U.S. it seems like every time we check the news, there's an article on Russia's interference with the elections in the U.S. And this isn't exactly something that's new if we look at 2007 in Estonia and sort of Russia's rumored interference in the um, Estonian banking affairs. So I guess I'm curious, Kyrgyzstan is kind of in this position of geographic and political alliance with Russia. Do you feel like these recent events in 2016 and on have impacted sort of the bilateral relationship between these two countries? Katrin, thank you very much. And first of all, Andita, thank you for such a uh, warm welcome. I um, want to to tell to young students here, and mostly women, I I, I do see, that uh, there are lessons learned from my country's developments and from our region. And there are a lot of uh, probably new things which uh, you uh, didn't uh, know about our region. Central Asia, such as you remember, and uh, probably you had looked at the map, uh, we are about 70 million now, the whole Central Asia. Uh, we are five countries in Central Asia. And uh, stands, you know, that uh, State Department uh, used to call. I was the first ambassador of my country to Washington, D.C. in 1992 and uh, until 94. I presented my credentials to Mr. Bush Sr. and then Clinton came. Uh, that was uh, transition time. So, um, uh, and they put us uh, five stands together uh, in, uh, in the State Department and uh, uh, stand, by the way, the Sanskrit word, which means uh, um, where it sits, uh, uh, where, where, where it's situated. So, and uh, um, plus Afghanistan and Pakistan and other stands, but uh, still. Uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and Turkmenistan. We are five stands, uh, um, young uh, of, uh, population countries with very young population. My country is a six million uh, population country, not a big. Uh, we have a, a border with China, about a thousand kilometer border with China. Next door is China. It's like one uh, village or one uh, city of China, so I mean, not, not too big. And um, we, we used to be a part of the superpower, which was the Soviet Union, and uh, thanks God, uh, uh, literacy and uh, emancipation of women, everything what we have reached in the Soviet days, uh, it helps us in our uh, today's life in the development. You're asking about Russia and uh, Kyrgyzstan relations. Uh, uh, my country is secular, pro-democratic. Still, we are in good and bad sense. Oh, democracy, they develop democracy, something. Uh, when uh, you see these days, uh, you're reading about democracy, and uh, probably still, of course, in the United States, democracy is such a sucker word. But look at what's going on in the world. Uh, uh, democracy is uh, very much uh, sort of uh, vanishing, how to say it. Uh, uh, I read recently a speech of Mr. Macron in front of uh, his diplomatic corps, and uh, his analysis is uh, very deep, and he says that uh, 
what what is uh, today the uh, the Western type of uh, governance uh, is uh, um, is coming to the end, and new forces like, uh, of course, United States still and China they are rising, and so we lost uh, our uh, uh, force to govern the whole world. I mean the the West, and so democracy is not in the best shape. Uh, and so over the last five, six years, when you uh, entered the university, you, you watch uh, what, what, what is the world's development today. Uh, Russia is a uh, beacon of uh, sort of conservatism, right? And uh, Russia's uh, development uh, is still uh, um, the question uh, of having in mind sanctions against Russia and struggle uh, with the Western many issues uh, in such a, uh, forums like OECA and the European Union and so on. Uh, but Russia is quite uh, politically correct, uh, not entering too much in our affairs. We are in this uh, uh, domain of Russia's uh, influence. Uh, we are part of the Euro, uh, Euro-Asian Economical Alliance which is uh, positive for us. Uh, who, uh, who would say whatever? But it is positive for us because Russia is still a, a, a very such a powerful country in the world, and uh, we we are uh, no European Union doesn't want us as a member, <laughs> let's say. So and so then uh, uh, Russia with this Eurasian Economic Alliance, uh, we don't have, by the way, borders with Russia at all. My country. Uh, Kazakhstan has, uh, we don't have, so, and uh, for us it is uh, still very positive uh, sight, uh, although we bind a lot with Russia's policy in many ways, we depend very much from Russia regarding economical, uh, um, financial, uh, such a dependence, uh, um, our people, they are migrants in Russia, a lot of them, so, we still, uh, Russian language is widely spoken in my country, it's like official language. Uh, um, a lot of uh, still students, they go to Russia to study. We don't, uh, we, we want very much to have English language as spoken language in my country. Uh, uh, Saakashvili, president of Georgia in the past, he has done great, uh, move, uh, such a turn towards to uh, Anglization of his country. He, uh, uh, he invited a lot of uh, senior people from all of the Anglo-Saxon countries to Georgia to come to uh, work uh, to teach their uh, people English. But uh, we can't uh, all of us uh, allow uh, to do like this. So anyway, uh, for milita- from military point of view, we are very much in uh, uh, connection with Russia. Uh, but it doesn't, uh, uh, it is not obstacle for our democratic development, for our democratic uh, views, and uh, uh, we do have uh, such a very much uh, direction for democ- democracy in our development. So speaking of this push towards democracy, one of the things that's happening obviously in Moscow are these protests surrounding the election. Um, however much the government tries to sort of conceal that. And then we see this also in areas like Hong Kong. 
um, I know in Kurdistan there was the recent sort of arrest of the former president. How close do you think Kurdistan is to some sort of movement like that? And what do you think it would take to reach that? We are a very experienced country mm -hmm. regarding democratic intention and action. And uh, uh, we have started uh, from 2004 and five. So 15 years, of, uh, this is our experience. Russia just started, you know. Right. Uh, Russia's uh, election to Duma, uh, is, uh, Moscow city's Duma, has shown that, uh, look, so many troubles there. First time problem there, so otherwise it was quite uh, pushed down on such a country. So, and uh, I think for us uh, it is, uh, it is not exemplary, it is not something what we should, what we should learn from, absolutely. We just watch uh, what's going on there and uh, um, uh, it, it, it impacts, for example, somehow correlates with Kazakhstan where mm. a change of president uh, took place and uh, new president uh, here faces this uh, um, people's uh, sort of uh, it's, it's not a revolt, but uh, sometimes meetings of uh, people uh, in Astana city, oh, North Sultan city, sorry, mm -hmm. North Sultan city, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, for us, uh, well, what was exa exactly your question? Sorry, I, I just... Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm just interested, I know yeah. there's been sort of maybe a push towards increased accountability in Kyrgyzstan over the past month for political leaders. Do you think it is close to having some sort of protest or demonstration, or maybe more yeah. aggressive push towards democracy? I, I was in the right. Uh, I was responding to you in the mm -hmm. right direction. Yeah, we have all heard uh, mm -hmm. uh, Russia, and uh, we experienced the nation in this regard. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we do have uh, <coughs> own track of development, so it doesn't uh, affect us. Interesting. So you just. Just on, based on that question, you uh, helped to uh, bring about the Tulip Revolution in 2005, which led to uh, the democracy movement in uh, Kyrgyzstan. And earlier in the morning, you told me that a new threat is rising in Kyrgyzstan, the threat of radical Islam forces. In a secular country like Kyrgyzstan, that this new threat might mean a different kind of political dynamic. And that might threaten the stability of the entire region. Would you like to speak to that, President? I would, uh, yes. Uh, you mentioned uh, for radicalization of uh, Islamic uh, population, but it doesn't mean that uh, this is something uh, it's cloud over uh, such a growing cloud. No. Russia has <coughs> also. Russia faces uh, from the Islamic population, uh, which is uh, completely not uh, um, uh, the country of the Islamic uh, population, right? Uh, in Central Asia, Central Asia mostly it is Islamic uh, um, based uh, or uh, background countries. Uh, so, and uh, Soviet days been uh, completely atheistic, uh, no believers, everything was prohibited. Uh, and uh, for example, my country has ended up with uh, 100 mosques uh, and two, uh, more than 2,000 schools. Today we have the same number of mosques uh, with the independence uh, uh, international no, UMA from all of the world. They came to help us to come to our roots, and uh, 
that was generous assistance to build new mosques. And uh, because again, my country is a free country, a democratically oriented country, then we didn't prohibit anything. So they came, they helped, they built mosques, and uh, we want to certainly to have. Uh, uh, to, to let people uh, to exercise their religion. But uh, immediately this uh, space was full of all sorts of uh, Islam <laughs> and uh, uh, all directions. Like uh, Tabligi Jamaat is prohibited in Russia, for example, but it is allowed in my country. Um, uh, for example, as you know, uh, uh, Mormons, uh, Scientologists—they are prohibited in some countries in cent of Central Asia. <coughs> I'm talking just uh, generally about the general uh, religion uh, uh, in in our country. So this place was uh, full, uh, filled up com uh, immediately with all sorts of such uh, religious uh, uh, trends. Uh, in in my country especially with the war in Syria uh, and in other countries, uh, the sentiments grew up uh, against uh, <coughs> other believers and recruitment was very active and uh, young people also, they went to Syria. Now, with the <coughs> end of the war in Syria, every country of Central Asia brought back women and children. That's what uh, we face also in my country. So, of course, uh, it, it, it was not a good uh, experience at all. And every country is very much concerned what these people learned there, what they have gone through, and uh, about their beliefs and so on. But uh, uh, quantity side, uh, on the quantity side, we have most. We have uh, Muftiyat uh, with their policy. Uh, and uh, in the former Soviet Union, now we understood that we should teach our mullahs on very moderate uh, Islam. And uh, uh, how uh, today in Samarkand and Bukhara, uh, moderate Sunni Islamic schools are emerging again in Russia and Kazan. So this is important for us because they used to go everywhere, anywhere, and uh, uh, this brother Muslims uh, um, somewhere in Egypt or in other countries, they taught them, and uh, th that was radicalization. That was uh, something what uh, they taught that uh, you must uh, be fighting Islamists. So today we are bringing to the order all of this. And uh, I was recently, I had such experience uh, from Ireland, the lady came. Sh she lives in my country probably 15 years already. She has uh, started to build uh, hospice. Uh, she she uh, looked around and she found that the homeless people they are they are uh, for, uh, terminal sick people and so they don't have a, um, a place to die peacefully. And she started. And so they need some assistance financial to build up up to the end. It was a Ramadan time. I turned to our mufti, look, would you help? They need some amount of money. After a while, I, uh, I got to respond, no. I said, look, that was mufti. I said, look, would you uh, learn yourself and would you help to the nation? Because it's not a matter just uh, five times to do namaz. 
it is matter that you should bring such a very positive and important things. Why Christians they do this work? Why they open uh, hospitals? Why they open hospices? <coughs> of course, uh, of, uh, universities and so on. Why not you do this? So in new emerging countries, this is also problematic. We start to think, I, I, I guess, because they do understand also, if you want to serve people, if you want to respond to their acute needs, so please open up such, a, uh, such places. So in other words, you see, uh, this is a new uh, uh, revival of religion. They want to aim and privatize all the population. It belongs only to them, this population, and some of them Orthodox uh, of, um, uh, church. We have Russian, half a million Russian in my country. So uh, they both privatized everyone. And they don't want to allow others to, to be, to present in our countries. But they must do all this work which people need. In. So uh, this is my long answer to your question that uh, seems to me uh, we should civilize both uh, religion and uh, other uh, people within nation. And we should teach others and we should build new nation. So unpack some of the domestic politics a bit more. Um, I know some of the work you did as president focused on addressing corruption, um, and something the Soviet bloc, former Soviet bloc, has faced a lot of issues with, is perceptions of corruption. At the same time, I know some scholars argue that at a low level, corruption can, in some ways, increase efficiency. Do you feel like, I guess, what do you think Kyrgyzstan can do to address corruption that occurs? both at a high level and low level, and do you think this should be a priority? First of all, uh, let me uh, point out that uh, we are going through a very critical time of our developments. In your country, in the developed countries, this privatization goes 100 years, so decades and decades. In our post-Soviet countries, mm -hmm. privatization took place in 20 years. Right. Everything what belonged to the nation, immediately it was grabbed in the first uh, 10 and uh, uh, then uh, another decade. So now who is uh, strong, then he took away this factory, this land and so on, who are uh, helpless. They don't have nothing. So and distribution uh, uh, took place like 10% of the richest people and others are poor because they didn't get uh, any shares from the public goods. So this is the situation which we, we got in. And uh, Russia is uh, a brilliant example for this. And the gap between oligarchs and uh, poor people, uh, it is in any country of the former Soviet Union. So, And uh, in, uh, uh, in my country also, we, uh, people have uh, such a resentment. They, they oppose to such a... Uh, market economy and democracy. Look, we had everything in the past. Soviet Union, they glorified today even that uh, everything was, I was provided uh, free school, free health care, uh, everything was uh, available. And now what I have? I don't, I don't have anything. That is really people's uh, very much, uh, they, they are opposed to all of this uh, um, in many ways. Uh, of course, they don't want to go back uh, uh, to the Soviet uh, 
reality, but uh, still this is uh, uh, the feeling of the people. And uh, uh, I, uh, I do understand that, uh, uh, you see, all of us uh, in the uh, minds, sort of socialist, everything was to everyone, peace, uh, every, each of us will have the same amount of wealth, the same amount of everything, and so on. So, uh, then corruption, uh, corruption, uh, of course, uh, it, it, uh, uh, it has a place, we talk about corruption in democratic countries, especially. We have open mouth. We are talking and talking and talking about uh, corruption, which is good because uh, nothing is uh, uh, hide, hidden, uh, closed. In my country, parliamentary demo uh, democracy, if someone uh, it, uh, something happened uh, to place, uh, then like in your country, immediately next day it will be uh, on the table of uh, parliament, and parliament uh, will discuss this. Mm -hmm. which is, uh, it, it's open country with this regard, I would say, this is positive side. So then uh, people have such uh, understanding, look, uh, all of them, they are corrupt, and this is the uh, corrupt, uh, corrupted country. I think uh, we should uh, bear in mind that uh, it's not uh, necessary like this. When we see developing countries, what's going on in Italy, or what's going on in other developed countries, we do believe that, look, this is also, of, uh, the, the whole world struggles with corruption. So, uh, what I have done, for example, myself, this is a, a foundation uh, of investigative journalism. This is a real serious weapon against the corruption. Uh, corruption is very sophisticated, very wild, and someone should dig and find who is guilty and how he has done this, uh, his... Uh, uh, bad business. So, uh, this is not an easy uh, uh, journalism, I understood. <coughs> um, uh, we mobilized our journalists for this. I gave them my pension to, uh, in our, uh, uh, we have a million, one million souls, which is probably about $15,000, so, uh, to set up this uh, uh, foundation. And uh, we, uh, we have all sorts of competition for journalists, uh, we invite from uh, uh, Moscow, from uh, Kiev, uh, the, the best uh, investigators, journalists, to teach our journalists also how to do this. This is just a one way uh, what what we do. Uh, we are certainly in the list of Transparency International. We do a lot of other works. I set up such an institute w while I was a president uh, uh, to uh, to have. Um, advisory board in every, uh, such an oversighting board in every ministry. So it, it works still, it is alive. It, it was uh, uh, approved by the law, uh, by parliament. And this advisory board composed from the uh, previous ministers or uh, bureaucrats of this ministry, who knows the, uh, the, this business of this uh, uh, industry. Uh, the point is, civil servants, this is new institution in our countries. I mean, we are building. Mm -hmm. If you have quality civil servants, then the machine, state machine, will be really good. But we are building this. And that's why we have a lot of problems. This is, uh, rotation goes very quickly. Then these guys, they don't know many things and so on. It's, 
a thousand problems there. And uh, this oversight uh, board give to minister, and again, in my country, believe me, this is uh, what we are under uh, very, very acute critic. Parliament changed, changed the government every time, changed the government. Six parties are in our uh, parliament. <coughs> and uh, with the change of the uh, government, change everything, all the landscape of every ministry. It's very bad. But what we can do? This is our structure, how we do. So that is what other countries also live in, uh, parliamentary countries. But we hope that we will rise this good corpus of parliament of civil servants, and they would know better their job, and they would be clean, and they would be very such rigorous to work on their places. So I would say that corruption it is it is such a common enemy for all of us, for mm -hmm. everyone. Of course, uh, for example, you don't have a corruption in the universities. You don't pay anything to Rangita or to other people, right? It is the case in our universities, mm -hmm. it's still the case. So, and so this is uh, what we are struggling with, and uh, this is... Uh, we have, by the way, uh, just for uh, your information of students, we have American University of Central Asia based in Bishkek. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is uh, such a benchmark institution now uh, among high uh, uh, educational institutions. And uh, of course, uh, they show up that uh, it is possible to study like this. This is really old stuff. It, 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 it goes along with the new and want to uh, to be competitive. So that's what we are struggling with, and it is not easy. So we have several faculty um, at this meeting, so I'm going to open up the conversation, and there are new members who have joined the meeting. So, um, so Jean Galbraith and Miller Sarah came in. It's wonderful to meet you. So I have been spending a lot of time these last few years reflecting on what makes leaders committed to the rule of law. Uh, what about their backgrounds, what experiences <coughs> they've had, what have been formative moments that make them committed to the rule of law. I'm also deeply interested in what makes them not committed to the rule of law, but that's uh, uh, not the, the question I want to ask you is about commitment to the rule of law. If you look back at your own past, at your own experiences, what are the moments that gave rise to that commitment? Where did it come from? <coughs> How does it get instilled in, in, in people who become leaders? We do realize well that uh, there are some nations who doesn't have uh, territory, who doesn't have uh, their sovereignty. Uh, uh, the sovereignty came to my country not the most difficult way after the war and struggle and so on, but we got sovereignty and we want to build new nation. So, and so this uh, understanding of uh, our responsibility mm -hmm. in front of the nation, in front of uh, uh, our history, it makes me uh, very responsible. And I do believe that uh, we have a really historical mission these days 
to build new nation mm-hmm. and to build reputation to build uh, such a image of uh, uh, new country so with this regard uh, uh, this is probably hypothetic words but this mm-hmm. is what uh, moves me uh, forward mm-hmm. and regarding uh, commitment to law uh, i do uh, unfortunately we had uh, uh, the first president runway he is now in russia in moscow so uh, he was um, academician he was smart he was he was liked by the nation and so on. 13 years he uh, ruled the country. But every time, he seven times changed the constitution in order to uh, accumulate mm-hmm. the power in his hands. People tolerated the first and second and the third uh, such changes to constitution. No, they thought, uh, they, uh, because the nation was not uh, educated <coughs> itself. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone manipulates with the main document mm-hmm. and people don't understand what's going on still. And the fourth <coughs> and the fifth and people started to understand that this is really a, such a, a privatization of the power. Uh, the power given to him by nation. People go to vote for, for uh, every referendum and every time uh, power uh, get just in the hands of one family, so at the end, after seven such a, uh, changes in the uh, referendum, that's what we as opposition uh, uh, went uh, against. So, and uh, of course, this was a, a sort of bilateral uh, experience. President had his agenda, n- not commitment to the law, mm-hmm. and uh, the nation was not educated at all. And, slowly understood that uh, uh, the privatization of power took place. The president's agenda is clear. He wants to rule himself. He wants to give away uh, mining places. He wants to uh, get uh, a big flow of money from this or that places. And he rules, he says, to customs service or he says to <coughs> gold mining that, look, uh, whatever he says, they implement, so and uh, that, that sort of. So this is in every country now in, in uh, developing uh, uh, probably countries where law is uh, uh, not in place. So in my country, uh, that's how it, uh, it took place. And uh, we, uh, as opposition, we have united and we went against the president's build uh, opposition movement. We thought uh, everything should be in place. Law, commitment to law, it is important. Um, people uh, come to the election, and uh, election is very much uh, manipulated. Not like uh, today, yeah, no. no. Yeah. And uh, uh, people uh, on the ground, uh, they would. Uh, um, do everything uh, for the victory of the governing uh, power, governing uh, for, uh, side. So that's how it was. And uh, they have closed minds, they have closed eyes. They do believe that uh, this is, uh, it should be. So such a present gone away from my country. Mm-hmm. We made uh, such a situation that uh, he, uh, with his family, he ran away and he lives. Uh, in Moscow and he teaches in Moscow University and I don't understand those students and Moscow University who tolerate uh, to, mm-hmm. to such a situation why such a person should uh, 
speak uh, high words there now. So mm -hmm. he cheat the whole nation there. So you see, and so in uh, in my part of the world, they don't think that uh, they cheated. They they accuse us. Oh, you you are implementing American sort of uh, uh, such agenda, spreading all this color revolution mm -hmm. and so on. That's okay. We live with this, uh, <laughs> uh, but but really we want to build. Uh, uh, absolutely different country in this regard. Um, commitment of uh, ruling uh, guys uh, to law. This is really what uh, what we have. Um, mm -hmm. What we are, where yes. we split. Mm -hmm. You see completely, and uh, I think it's sh short seeing uh, of their goals, of the country's fate, and uh, this is their. Uh, personal not integrity because look uh, he wants just to uh, get uh, uh, to his pockets he doesn't think mm -hmm. about the uh, people's uh, fate and uh, their future about the future generation we, we should think about uh, our uh, destiny in 20 30 years uh, so but it is not the case uh, sometimes and because we are a neighbor of China, next door neighbor, a neighbor mm -hmm. of China. I, that I was my other question. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. do think that, look, uh, China has agenda 2050, 2070. Mm -hmm. So we should learn from each other what is positive. So when you were president, you brought about a pluralistic constitutional making process and my students have been looking at you know like what Jean said you know what are the characteristics of a leader you know how do you build these plural uh, communities and plural institutions and one of the safeguards that you put in place for the constitution was that the constitution should not be changed for the next 10 years so from 2011 to 2021 to 2021 and now, you know, we are at the cusp of 2021, and what threats do you see to that constitution? We have changed constitution. That was our change of the constitution. We completely put forward another constitution with the parliamentary governance. So it was presidential before. Presidents in our countries, starting from Russia, everywhere, they ruled the countries. presidents. We put forward a, a balance of power, president, uh, executives, and parliament. So that was, uh, that is uh, in the whole Soviet, post-Soviet and uh, Central Eastern Europe, this is now trend, that balance of the power. But I must tell to uh, lawyers here sitting that, uh, look, uh, not every document is the final and uh, not brilliant one. So. Uh, and document is, must be like that, and implementation is completely different. So, and uh, moreover, I, I, I would tell you, it depends from the personalities also. When you see the uh, gap, loft, look, parliament has on the constitution right, but doesn't uh, implement uh, anything. A country should move forward. Then I take this power from them. You see, this balance is very much such a mobile in some way. So, uh, it, uh, and presidents, uh, uh, they use these uh, lofts and gaps and they took away from the parliament uh, regardless of what's written in the constitution. So, 
this is how it's going in reality. Uh, anyway, uh, don't believe that documents is everything, and you should uh, comply with the documents word by word and thesis by thesis. So, and uh, uh, in 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 our case. Uh, uh, we uh, put this uh, parliamentarism in uh, uh, in force, uh, but uh, everyone will tell you that uh, still president has uh, power more than in the document. He has he has because uh, uh, executives or parliament doesn't implement what is uh, written for them. So it it, it is like uh, reality today. Then, for example, we have written that uh, 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 seats to the parliament will be uh, just now uh, on the principle uh, belonging to the parties uh, for proportional election. So, people now don't like this. They do believe that uh, parties, uh, for, they don't reflect people's mind and uh, uh, we have uh, 50 or more parties, for example, right? And, uh, uh, you know, parties is also sort of business of some people. Rich people come and uh, we don't, they don't know ideology of this party, they know only of, uh, the names of these rich people. Oh, he's good, I'll go to, the, to this party. This is, it's just emerging, emerging uh, new uh, parties and institutions. So uh, people want now to change uh, for proportional territorial um, uh, election. Everything is written in our uh, constitution. Everyone admires American constitution. Look, they never changed. This is uh, how it should be a, a, a written constitution. They don't know how, how much amendments in your constitution. <laughs> so they, they believe that it's written once and forever. But uh, in our case, in Russia, they don't change constitution at all. I mean, they live with the same constitution. But in our countries, unfortunately, uh, change is coming up and, uh, uh, and there is a colossal need. People demand. Now they demand that uh, it should be written like that, it should be removed completely, and so on and so on. It sounds like uh, it should be another change of constitution. So and how far will go. This is in every Central Eastern European countries, the same story, almost the same story. Um, Madam President, you know, your description of your experience with the, in your government reminds me of what some of us see happening in the United States today. Uh, a corrupt government <laughs> engaged in uh, assault on the rule of law and, and the freedom of press and uh, other institutions. And for those of us that sometimes have to go around representing the United States, I'm just wondering what you think about what's happening in the United States today. Can I be with you, Mr. 